The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you. Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. And before I start today's show, I'd like to thank Nat and Rob for their recent donations. If you are able to help keep the show on the air, folks, please go to andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com and either buy a book or click how you can keep ACH on the air at the banner at the top of the website. Now today is Thursday, it is also Thanksgiving, it's time for our weekly chat with Dr Peter Hammond, I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? I am, yes, thank you Andrew. Thank you Peter, and uh, of course we've got a show for you today entitled The Real Reason for Thanksgiving. Now folks, I know that it's the last Thursday of November, and another couple of little bits, but I don't know that much about it, so I'm going to find this show very useful as I always do with Peter's presentations and uh, I hope you do too so let's go over to Peter now and where would you like to start us off today Peter? Thank you Andrew. You know there are at least 138 passages of scripture in the Bible that deal with the subject of thanksgiving. We commanded in Psalm 100 enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now the Americans have this very nice, excellent, wonderful Christian holiday called Thanksgiving. And it's very much like our Harvest Festival idea of thanking God for all the wonderful things he has given us. And the Americans have quite an inspiring story of how the first Thanksgiving was after a traumatic winter when something like half of all the pilgrims who had gone to America had already died. Uh, they lost people on the a seaborne journey over, and in the hideous conditions, uh, of course, they didn't have proper homes yet. They were trying to hack out in the wilderness. They were struggling uh, to get enough food, and uh, uh, literally of either disease or hunger, half of them had, had died uh, in that winter, and they came to Thanksgiving, and can you imagine, um, well, they, they initiated the whole idea of having a Thanksgiving uh, at their Harvest Festival, and this then was entered into not just American life and practice, but uh, it even became a national holiday formalized uh, by presidential decree. And I think it's a good principle, so much so that in our mission now for over 30 years, we've been practicing Thanksgiving, not normally on the last Thursday of, of the month. We personally find it easy on the last Friday of, of November. Uh, so we just slightly one day off from the Americans and 
how we practice it in our mission. It's not a public holiday in our country, so we just find it's useful to, to do it on a Friday at the beginning of the weekend, as we always have Thursday night Reformation Society meetings, and we don't want to interfere with it. But uh, we've been practicing for three decades now, Thanksgiving, and there's so much in the Bible about Thanksgiving. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Now, one of the things that we find throughout the world is uh, a lack of gratitude. In fact, uh, it's extraordinary. Failure to express gratitude is more than immaturity and rudeness. It's actually ungodly. We command it to honor our parents, our elders, and our leaders. And it's a sign of maturity to acknowledge indebtedness. And anyone who's learned anything is in debt to someone. We're all in debt. First of all, mostly to God, our creator himself, for life, health, food, talents, family, friends, opportunities for salvation itself. And we are also in debt to past generations, generations who've sacrificed for the freedoms we now enjoy. Reformers, martyrs, pioneers, missionaries, soldiers, parents, teachers, pastors, so many others have sacrificed for our benefit. And those who don't take advice don't think they have anything to learn. And they often the same people who have a problem expressing any genuine heartfelt gratitude to anyone else because it's a sign of pride to be ungrateful. It reveals an unwillingness to acknowledge a debt to others. And it's a sign of maturity to be grateful. Instead of the Christian attitude of gratitude, our present culture prefers to promote an attitude of entitlement, which is the very opposite of gratitude and often builds on pride and covetousness. You just think of the riotous mobs pulling down monuments and trying to destroy the fruit of previous generations of civilization. It's fueled by bitterness and ignorance and greed and envy. And all too many in the present humanistic society take things for granted and they demand to get, give me, rather than seeking to give and to build and to contribute to others and to leave a better world than what they inherited. Uh, they are angry and they want to destroy the achievements and the recognition of previous generations. Proverbs 11:24 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And so it's an extraordinary thing. Uh, you read in the Bible, for example, in Luke 17, verse 7 to 19, the 10 lepers who were healed by the Lord Jesus, when one of them, a Samaritan, threw himself at the feet of our Lord and thanked him. Jesus answered, We're not all ten cleansed. Where the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? Well, in our missions experience, we found that barely 10% of those we help or sponsor will ever bother to express their gratitude, either verbally or in a letter or card. Gratitude is a rarity these days. And it's a root sin. Romans 1 verse 18 to 21 says, the wrath of God or the anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor were thankful. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here, failure to give thanks to God is the root sin that leads to futile thinking and foolish darkened hearts. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul gives a list of some of the most terrible sins imaginable. And just listen to uh, what's in the middle of it. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, 
proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, traitorous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godlessness, godliness, but denying its real power. So here in 1 Timothy 3, we see ungratefulness, ingratitude, listed in the middle of a litany of hideous sins. So one of the first lessons a good parent seeks to teach his children is to say thank you. It takes courage and character to admit being in debt to others, and it's humbling. However, those who cannot admit the indebtedness to others cannot learn, nor can they seek forgiveness. Ralph Waldo Emerson observed, if the constellations of stars appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine what an exciting event it would be. But because they're there every night, we barely give them a look. And so the blessings of rain are barely appreciated unless you've been through a drought. I doubt if many people in England are grateful for rain, but those of us who live in Africa uh, who go through droughts, we're very grateful for rain. A hungry man is more thankful for his morsel than a rich man for his heavily laden table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit more than a popular person has a party thrown in their honor. A Christian who suffered under persecution for decades and receives his first copy of the Holy Scriptures will be much more thankful for this one book than we are for all the Christian books, Bible translations, and magazines that overflow our shelves. And I've learned a lot about Thanksgiving from the persecuted church. So having been a missionary for over 38 years to persecuted Christians, and having had the privilege of ministering throughout Eastern Europe before the Iron Curtain came down, and in the 1980s, we came across some amazing people, and I had the privilege of my father-in-law, Reverend Bill Bathman, having decades of experience of ministering throughout Eastern Europe, and he had many friends that he introduced me to, and one of them was Nikolai Moldovano. Now, this is an extraordinary Christian hymn writer in Romania. He composed many hundreds of hymns while being tortured by the communists in prison in Romania. Nikolai Moldovano was called the Bach of, or the Johann Bach of Romania. In his lifetime, he composed more than 6,000 hymns, hundreds of those while suffering excruciating torture and sultry confined in the communist prison system of Romania. Now, imagine this. Without access to the Bible or any other books, without having any musical instruments, without pen or paper, Nicola Moldovano determined to compose hymns of praise to God and to commit them to his memory, to later be put down paper when he is finally released from prison. So Richard Wurmbrandt, author of Tortured for Christ and a good friend of our family, testified that Nicola Moldovano was one of the greatest saints he met in his 14 years in prison. Moldovano came smiling from the torture room. His approach was that of a lamb. While I was protesting against the abuses of the communists, against myself and others, he never protested. Instead, the steadfast faith of Nicola Moldovano's resistance to atheist indoctrination and communist torture came through composing and singing great hymns of the faith. Most of the hymns sung in evangelical churches in Romania today are Nicola Moldovano's compositions. And the verse in 1 Thessalonians just comes to mind. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So plainly it's God's will for us to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. People say, I want to know God's will, I want to know God's will. And most people are thinking geography or vocation, location and vocation. Where should I go? Who should I marry? What work should I do? But God's will is that you be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. If we focus on being the kind of people we should be, then God's will will be fulfilled easiest uh, no matter where we are. Our location and vocation is secondary to our character. That's God's will, first and foremost, that we be thankful, prayerful, and joyful. Well, Nikola Moldovano was born in 1922 to a very poor family. He lost his father by age three. His only education came through enlisting in a military program called the Army's Children at age 12. And these destitute children lived on military bases to serve the soldiers. And due to his love for music, Nikolai Moldovano was soon enrolled in the military brass ensemble in Romania. And the band director recognized his extraordinary talents and helped him develop his musical abilities. So Nikolai wrote, I am now seeing God's hand in everything that has happened in my life. And he soon joined the Lord's Army, which was a reformed branch of the Greek Orthodox Church. And they emphasized the need of being born again, this evangelical branch called the Lord's Army. It's sort of like the Salvation Army, but in the Orthodox Church. Repentance was essential. Being born again is essential. Regeneration and a personal relationship with Christ. Those were the three R's. Regeneration, repentance, and relationship with Christ. So soon after joining the Lord's Army, Moldovan experienced the conversion to Christ. And he began to publish musical compositions called The Village's Light. And Nikolai Moldovano survived the Second World War, and he enriched the lives of fellow soldiers with great hymns of the faith. He was a soldier involved in the war against Russia, uh, the terrible Eastern Front. Well, during the war for a whole month, he sold his daily rations of milk and bread in order to afford to buy his first Bible. Can you imagine? In 1948, the communist regime of Romania declared the Lord's Army illegal and arrested all its leaders. But Moldovano continued to worship in secret. But in 1959, he was arrested and sentenced to 12 years in prison. It might be worth mentioning that uh, it was because of an unguarded comment of someone during a prayer meeting in an underground service, not knowing there was a spy present, when thanking God for the hymn that they'd just sung from Brother Moldovano. Uh, from that unguarded comment in a prayer meeting, uh, the word got back through an informer, and he got arrested, sentenced to 12 years in prison for composing a Christian hymn. Well, Moldovano, on the day of his arrest, whispered to his wife, Lena, look at the skies. It'll be the only thing we can share while separated. And for many months, Nikolai could not even see the sky because he's incarcerated in an underground cell. But when he was later moved to a cell that was above ground, it had a broken window. But in spite of the bitter winter cold, he rejoiced that he could share the view of the same sky with his wife, Lena, far away. In prison, Nikolai's best friends were Taranian Doris, a prolific Romanian Christian poet from the Lord's Army, and Richard Wurmbrandt, who had become the author of Tortured for Christ and the founder of Voice of the Martyrs Ministry and a very good friend of my wife's family. Both Richard Wurmbrandt and Nikolai Moldovano praised each other for how their encouragement and ministry helped sustain the other through excruciating torture. For more than 62 years, God enriched 
the faith of Romanian Christians through the uncompromising Christian testimony and the courage and the steadfastness of Nicola Moldovano and his rich treasury of over 6,000 hymns that he gave to the church. He stood fast during 45 years of Romania's darkest years under communist persecution with 12 years that he spent in prison. Even when the communists broke the bones in his fingers, Nicola Moldovano relearned to play the piano later, despite his fingers being mangled, they were no longer, to shake his hand is an uncanny, unnerving experience because his hands are like eagle's talons. They, they, they contorted, mangled, uh, they are crippled. Uh, but he relearned to play the pianos despite his fingers being mangled and out of shape. One of Nicolas' compositions was entitled Break My Will, Even With Heavy Blows. Another of his hymns was Only Grace and If We Gather Together in the Lord, Don't Doubt But Believe. Teach Me to Do Your Will. I Will Sing to My God and Break My Plans. And Christians in Romania are still singing these hymns that God gave Nicola Moldovano while in prison 60 years ago. And I've sung some of these hymns when visiting and ministering with friends in Romania in their churches and their colleges and their universities. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, we read about the word sacrifice of praise, but for how many of us is praise a sacrifice? Well, for Christians in prison in Romania, under communism, it was a sacrifice because they would be told, if you sing, we will beat you. Nicholas said, that's fine. I will sing. You can beat us. Therefore, you happy and I'm happy. And uh, they would literally do that. He would sing, they would beat him and so on. And many times you don't feel like praising and many times things are hard. But when your children are sick, when you're in prison, when life is difficult, when you're injured, uh, when you're being tortured, then praise becomes a sacrifice. And I think that's what we read about in the scriptures, the sacrifice of praise. But take, you're unlikely to have sang any of Nikolai Moldovana's hymns unless you're in Romania, but we've all sung hymns by Fanny Crosby. Now, do you know Fanny Crosby, the queen of gospel writers, who composed more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs? Do you know she was blind? Now, born in 1820 of Puritan ancestry, a descendant of Mayflower settlers, mustard treatment on an inflammation of eyes led to damage of the optic nerves and then lifelong blindness for Fanny. But despite her blindness, Fanny Crosby became one of the most prolific hymn writers in history. And more than 100 million copies of her hymns were printed in her lifetime. She is described as the mother of congregational singing in America. Uh, Ira Sankey attributed the success of the Deal Moody and Sankey evangelistic campaigns largely to Fanny Crosby's hymns. Now, listen to these titles. Maybe you've sung some of them. Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Blessed Assurance, Jesus Mine. To God Be the Glory. Praise Him, Praise Him. Rescue the Perishing. Those are just some of the 8,000 hymns Fanny Crosby composed while blind. Now, she wrote... It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank God for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful, interesting things around me. When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gland my sight will be that of my Savior. And 
that is a sacrifice of praise, I would think, too. So according to the biographer of Fanny Crosby, Annie Willis, had it not been for her affliction, she might not have had so good an education, nor so great an influence, and certainly not so fine a memory. Fanny Crosby memorized five chapters of the Bible every week from age 10. By age 15, she had memorized four Gospels, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Book of Proverbs, and many of the Psalms. She learned to play the piano, the organ, the harp, and the guitar. She became a good soprano singer. And in 1943, Fanny Crosby became the first woman to speak to the United States Senate when she read a poem that she had composed. She was a vigorous campaigner for temperance society, campaign against alcohol abuse. She supported the female American Guardian Society, the home for the friendless. And while she's best known for hymns, she's primarily a rescue mission worker in inner city. For decades, Fanny Crosby lived in slum areas of Manhattan like Hell's Kitchen, the Bowery and the Tenderloin. And as soon as she received payments for contributions for her publications or a concert, she donated all these proceeds to missions to reach the poorest and most needy people in society. Psalm 92 was quoted as one of her inspirations. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. That's in Psalm 92. Well, when I lead tour groups to the Castle of Good Hope, the oldest building in the Southern Hemisphere in Cape Town, uh, construction started in 1666, it's most telling when I shut the door to the dungeon and switch off the light. <laughs> And immediately there's gasps and shouts and screams even from people being exposed to complete darkness for not even a minute. And for some people, it's the first time they've been put in total darkness, a dungeon in the castle. <laughs> well, imagine living your entire life in complete darkness and silence. And that was how life was for Helen Keller. Because Helen Keller was not just blind, she was deaf as well. Born on 27th of June, 1880 in Alabama, an illness took away Helen Keller's hearing and sight when she was only 19 months old. With her family not being able to communicate with her, they viewed her as wild and uncontrollable, and she was. But in 1887, Anne Sullivan became a teacher to Helen Keller and threw fingerspelling water into her hands while pumping water over her hand for her to feel, had a breakthrough, which led Helen to learn how to communicate and read with her fingers. And at age 24, she graduated from Redcliffe College, and she graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1904. She became a tireless advocate for people with disabilities. She traveled to over 40 countries and famously stated that deafness was a greater affliction than blindness. And she also recommended that I've often thought it would be a blessing if every human being was stricken blind and deaf for a few days for some time during their adult life. It would make them more appreciative of sight and of the joys of sound. Imagine not being able to hear or to see. Colossians 1.12 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So do you recognize the many blessings God has granted to you? Do you appreciate the incredible blessings of sight and sound? Now, I'm surrounded by wonderful nature, and I'm able to see sights like Table Mountain almost alien, and to have legs and health to climb these mountains. When last did you thank God for your hands, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your sense, your sound, taste, for music, for sunshine, for nature, for 
the birds that sing for the wild animals and the sea life and the whales and the dolphins and the eagles and lions. Well, I must say, I appreciate these more because I was locked up in prison and I was locked up in dungeon and I've been tortured in prison. And there were times that I was just praying that I would have the chance again to see the sky, to see the mountains, to see the animals and the birds, to climb Table Mountain, see my family. And to me, I notice things more than most other people around me because I will see, oh, there's a peregrine falcon on resting on the street lamp just outside a mission. Regularly, I, I, I see this peregrine falcon. Other people who travel same roads haven't seen him, but I'm appreciating what's around me because I've been deprived of it. And that's actually a greater blessing than people taking things for granted. Would, um, would people steal if they were grateful to God? No, people steal because they're not grateful to God for his provision. People wouldn't commit adultery if they were grateful for the spouse that God had given them. So sin is a result of a lack of gratitude. Have you ever thanked God for his mercy, grace, and undeserved favor? Have you thanked God for his matchless blessings through regeneration, repentance, faith, and adoption as a child of God? Have you ever thanked God for his forgiveness and for the privilege of being made his servant and a soldier? Civilizations built upon gratitude, which is why monuments are so important to remind us of people to whom we should either learn from or be grateful to, and recognize our debts to previous generations. My appreciation for my parents has grown in leaps and bounds once I became a parent. And for the first time, I came to understand something of what my parents had sacrificed for me. Professor Martin Luther declared, there is no love so sacrificial and unselfish as that of a parent. Well, we all have a great debt to great reformers like Professor Martin Luther, William Carey, William Tyndale, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, Kuliman Farrell, and so many others. They championed the great principles of freedom of conscience and freedom of worship and freedom of thought and calling us back to the Bible as the sole authority for all truth and, and education. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Sola Scriptura. We have much to be grateful to, to reformer Ulrich Zwingli for dispensing with the Latin mass, for initiating biblical exposition, for preaching through every verse and chapter and book of the Bible, applying the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. And everyone who has an English Bible should be grateful to William Tyndale, who gave his life, who was burned at the stake, that we can have the Bible available in our own language. And the people of India have a tremendous debt of gratitude to missionary William Carey, who ended widow burning and the burning of lepers and the sacrificing of infants. And for pioneering the first schools for girls and the first Christian college in Asia and for translating the Bible in the New Testament and Gospels into 35 languages. I mean, absolutely incredible. All of us are deeply indebted to missionary explorer David Livingston for opening up Africa to the gospel, for exposing and campaigning to end the rampant Islamic slave trade. All Nigerians should be grateful to missionary Mary Slessor for campaigning tirelessly to end the killing of twins and for campaigning against the slave trade and cannibalism and drunkenness and for pioneering Christian schools and planting churches in remote regions of Nigeria. We all have much to be grateful for to Member of Parliament William Wilberforce for his lifelong crusade to end the slave trade and to set the captives free. And our lives have been enriched by the devotional writings of Andrew Murray and the biblical preaching of Charles Spurgeon 
And there's so many inventors and innovators whose life works have made our lives richer and healthier. In my life, I've had the opportunity of dedicating books to people who've been a blessing to me. One of my first books in the Killing Fields of Mozambique was dedicated to Francis Grimm, the founder and president of Hospital Christian Fellowship, who planted missions in 110 countries of the world. It was Francis Grimm who first recruited me to missions and he taught me to pray for world evangelism and days of prayer, nights of prayer. And I'm grateful for his demanding high standards of excellence from all his staff and his unwillingness to tolerate less than our best and his determination not to accept excuses has continued to inspire me to overcome all obstacles and achieve what others said was impossible. And I dedicated my Old Testament survey to Dr. Fritz Haus, who taught me to see Christ in every book of the Old Testament. Professor Fritz Haus was a God-fearing, dedicated Christian missionary, veteran of the Second World War. He led Bible studies and prayer meetings on the Eastern Front and in North Africa. And for over 60 years, he planted churches throughout South Africa. As professor of the Old Testament at Baptist Theologian College in Cape Town, Dr. Fritz Haus introduced me to the doctrines of the Reformation and the Christology of the Old Testament. And I dedicated the third edition of Faith and Defiance Land to Brent Noble, who was a friend and great inspiration. He is a living testimony of perseverance and endurance under adverse circumstances. He was blind for the last 21 years of his life through experimental laser surgery. When he was about 20, he lost his sight totally. And his vision for the suffering church mobilized thousands of students to become the greatest single sponsors of Bibles for Sudan and film evangelism in Sudan. And by God's grace, there's many tens of thousands of South Sudanese and Nubans who've seen and heard the gospel graphically portrayed through the Jesus film or who received copies of the scriptures because the vision of a blind man in Colorado Springs, whose sacrificial love and generosity mobilized things that he could not see, but for people who could. And Brent Noble went to be with the Lord in 2002, but the impact of his missionary vision continues to echo through eternity because he didn't allow his blindness to prevent him from reaching and blessing hundreds of thousands of Christians in faraway Sudan. One of his favorite hymns was Amazing Grace, which declares, I once was blind, but now I see. I, I think of a Nuba evangelist that I met, who despite having had both his feet axed off at the ankles by malicious Muslims, he continued to walk on his knees or ride on a donkey to evangelize his neighbors. The Bible says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Well, this man had no feet, and yet he didn't allow that to prevent him from reaching and blessing and benefiting his neighbors and even his enemies with the gospel of Christ. So what excuse do we have if we've got our feet? Many people, their problems consist of what shall I pray for supper? But many of the people I minister to have had no such problems because they've had no food. And for many people, the dilemma that consumes them is what shall I wear? But many thousands of people I've ministered to have had only one tattered garment to wear, and some barely that. Many of our people argue over what Bible translation should I use. Well, for most of the people in the world, there's only one translation available, and many millions do not even have access to that. In Africa, according to Operation World, there's over 100 million churchgoers who do not yet have a Bible or New Testament. On many occasions, I've heard persecuted Christians 
declaring this is the greatest gift anyone could ever receive, the Bible in my own language. And I've seen people falling on their knees, weeping, crying, dancing, raising the Bibles high above their heads, shouting with excitement to receive their own copy of the Bible in their own language. Now, in Leo Tolstoy's classic War and Peace novel, one of his prominent characters, uh, Platon Karatev, is a joyful Russian peasant who's always giving thanks to God, praying, sharing what Lily has with a stray dog and with fellow prisoners around him. And Leo Tolstoy stated that he'd actually based this character on a poor but joyful peasant that he had met. And it occurred to him that this man who had so little was far happier and more joyful and more at peace than all the rich men he knew, including himself. And he realized it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I praise God for the many times I've been under fire and under artillery bombardments and even in prison and even under intense interrogation. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for freedom and for health and for clean water and for clean sheets and for soap and for the freedom to move and to see God's magnificent creation and to climb Table Mountain and many other blessings, which I was deprived of and I prayed for when I was in chains and in prison cells. And the question is, what does God have to do to get your attention? And in typical blasphemous Hollywood fashion, one TV series scripted a line where after the wife had given thanks for the food, the husband declared, why give thanks to God? I'm the one who worked and paid for this food. You're the one who cooked it. So thanks for nothing, God. Well, such foolish, blasphemous, short-sighted, willful blindness is pretty common these days because of these perverts, the synagogue of Satan and Hollywood, who've defiled the Western world with their sick antichrist paganism that they've tried to popularize through their big screen perversions. Such blasphemy has become so common. Behind the retailer is the wholesaler and the transporter, whether by vehicle or train. And behind that, the farmer and the soil and the sun and the rain. And behind all this is the hand of God. And we should give thanks to God for the life and health that enables us to work and to contribute to the lives of others, which enables us to not only meet our own needs, but to be generous to help others. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Ambrose said, no duty is more urgent than that of giving thanks. And C.H. Spurgeon said, it should be as habitual for us to thank as to ask. A thankful heart is the parent of all virtues, and lack of gratitude is a root sin. And we need to be cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make him known amongst the nations for what he's done. Give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love endures forever. A grateful mind is a great mind. Be thankful for the least benefit, and you shall be worthy of receiving greater. And so in Philippians 4 verse 6 we read, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So it's so important for us to recultivate again the attitude of gratitude. I fear that our society has become a society of entitlement and of grumbling and complaining and whinging and whining and an attitude of gratitude, a positive attitude, a thankful attitude, a joyful, prayerful attitude is something that would enable us to have peace in a storm. And so I think of all the holidays in the year, 
Thanksgiving is probably one of the most practical, constructive, important priorities. And whether you live in America or not, I would highly recommend having a day of Thanksgiving when you remember God's blessings and thank him and also tell the people around you. Communicate whatever ways you can, social media, whatever, what you're grateful for. So back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And that was very interesting. I've never heard of Nikolai Moldovianu, but uh, it sounds Moldovian. like it's... Yeah, it, 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 it's spelt like it, sound, like it sounds. Uh, I've got the name in the post for this show if you want to look it up because I typed it into Google. Uh, there is no Wikipedia page for him in English, but there is one in Romanian. And you just click mm. when the Google search comes up, translate this page, and it comes up. So um, there's only a Romanian wiki page, but it does translate. So quite an interesting story that Peter covered a great deal of. He composed over 8,000 spiritual hymns and songs. Um, uh, so mm. that's worth a read. Uh, what I'll do, I'm going to stick it in the post for the show, actually, because I think it might be uh, people might be interested in reading that. And um, the other thing, it's difficult to know where to go with this because I completely understand what you 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 said the importance of cultivating an attitude of gratitude but unfortunately the world that we live in today and especially uh, people in America who are the the main uh, area that are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving or celebrating as best they can in lockdown social distance and mask <laughs> wearing situations you can understand that there'd be uh, many who even have a faith but feel that these are indeed dark times and uh, you know what do they have to do to get into God's graces so he can give them the life they had last year this Thanksgiving last year which in just a year you see all their um, you know all their rights being taken away many of them would have voted for Donald Trump and they realized that although they voted legally they've had it illegally stolen from them and it's very few things uh, in America for Americans to actually cheer about so do you believe Peter that uh, the best attitude is to you know pray and pray because I, I certainly feel that uh, there's no political solution out of this the political solution was Donald Trump he didn't do what he promised he was blocked as we know uh, in many areas but in the same way now um, he might have all this evidence that uh, he can take to court but uh, as a, a regular guest on this show once said he's got a few sound bites that are pretty uh, telling he said a great lawyer knows the law no a good lawyer knows the law but a great lawyer knows the judge and as we saw from the travel ban the very first thing that trump did there was some obscure judge popped up and says well no you're not doing that and so they can take all this evidence of uh, election malfeasance to different uh, uh, judges and they'll just say as they already have in pennsylvania well yeah we don't agree with that bye and uh, so I, I completely understand where you're coming from, but it's very trying times for, for Christians and uh, goodness knows how atheists are feeling at the moment. How would you advise people in America and around the world to deal with this tyranny that we're all suffering at the moment, Peter? Well, of course, we're talking about gratitude to God. We're not talking about gratitude to government for their treacherous backstabbing uh, lockdown lunacy or infringing bills of rights and committing economic murder. We used to call it economic suicide, but then I realized that uh, suicide's voluntary, um, but <laughs> this is involuntary. It's more like economic massacre and murder uh, when they are uh, uniting big pharma, big tech, big government in crushing the small business, the family business, the, 
the individual farmers and and crushing churches and, and ministries from being able to operate and forbidding us to fulfill the cultural mandate, the creation mandate, the Great Commission, all of that's totally unacceptable. So in no sense am I talking about an attitude of subservience or submission to wicked, evil governments, because as John Knox said, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And we owe God total allegiance, complete loyalty, uh, gratitude, and service. But government, no, not at all. Uh, civil government is meant to be in its place. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to gods the things that are gods. Render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And to highlight this point, our Lord Jesus asked for a coin. And so whose image is on this coin? Caesar's, right. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So Caesar gets the coin. You know, fair enough. The, the coin is his image, and so, you know, there's the coin on the table. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The emphasis here is you don't give Caesar everything Caesar wants, demands, and insists on. You give Caesar what belongs to him, what he's entitled to, uh, that which is made in his image. You know, he's entitled to a certain amount of taxes, fair enough. Uh, and the Bible makes clear taxation as high as 10% is oppression and unacceptable, fair enough. Uh, but still, the things that are made in the image of God don't belong to Caesar. So, for example, our children are not made in the image of Caesar. Children are made in the image of God and entrusted to parents. So the, the state has no right to demand the right to indoctrinate or infringe on your religious freedoms, freedom of conscience, freedom of association, and so on. So plainly speaking, when we talk about thanksgiving, we talk about thanksgiving to God, our creator and our eternal judge, our savior and our redeemer, we trust. But he certainly is the creator of all and he's the judge of all. And everyone can give thanks to him for being our creator, the one who makes the sun to rise, the rain to fall, food to come out of the ground, the one who gives us life and the one who determines when and how we die. And, uh, uh, and the one who, before whom we must stand at the last day and give an account of our lives, one of which will be our attitude. Was it an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of entitlement and rebellion against them? But as far as the state goes, no. Um, uh, as the excellent book Lex Rex by Samuel Rutherford, uh, published in the 1600s, uh, depicted, uh, the prevailing mentality in Europe uh, up till the time of the Reformation was Rex Lex. Latin rex for king, lex for law. So rex lex, the king is the law. The king is law. The king's word is law. The king is above the law. But the reformers changed it by flipping it around to lex rex, the law is king. And that's the title of this landmark book by Samuel Rutherford, Lex Rex, uh, The Law and the Prince is the subtitle. And lex rex made this clear, that as we owe allegiance to our king, our king owes allegiance to the king of kings. And if our king is in rebellion to the king of kings, May we not join this rebellion. May we not in any way accede to or advance unjust laws and rebellion against God. And so when we have to choose between obedience to God and obedience to man, then, of course, we choose God. And it was so well put in Acts chapter 5 by the Apostle Peter. We must obey God rather than man. And so plainly, uh, we are not talking about an attitude of simplicity, ignoring evil. In fact, the Bible says to love God is to hate evil. And so the scripture says, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? Psalm 94 verse 16. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
Ephesians 5.11, and so on. So the scripture is very clear about us hating evil, opposing evil, standing up against evil. It's a truth that will set you free. And truth does not fear investigation. So in no way are we saying that we should not be opposing evil, exposing falsehood and lies and error. But it is very healthy to give thanks to the Lord, certainly to build it into our, our routines that every day we should give thanks to the Lord. Uh, before every meal, we should give thanks to the Lord. On Sundays and Lord's Day, the first day of the week, we should particularly give thanks to the Lord. And how wonderful to have a particular day when we look back over the last year and we think, what are the things I've got to be grateful to God for? Now, there's not much we've got to be grateful to the government for, because in many cases they've lied to us, they've stolen from us, they've oppressed us, they've tried to take away more of our vanishing freedoms. And so uh, by no means is Thanksgiving meant to make us into doormats uh, for evil oppressors. Because the Lord calls us to stand up for Jesus, to be honored Christian soldiers, to who is on the Lord's side and fight the good fight of faith. So let's be emboldened by the scriptures and by the great hymns of the faith so that we are not uh, those who will be doormats for the wicked or enablers of the wicked, but we'll be those who are advancing God's kingdom on earth. But we're doing it in an attitude of gratitude to God. So even when the government is evil, we can thank God that there's a day of judgment coming when he will judge the wicked, <laughs> when he will ensure that those who seem to have escaped justice on earth will not escape justice in eternity. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, that's, that's, that's really what I was looking for, because there are going to be people out there who, um, I don't want to really put words into people's mouths or rather actions, but I imagine there are going to be people out there who believe that they are good Christians and can't understand why God is allowing their governments to do what they're doing to them and in such a situation where if they go to speak out against uh, some of the sins that are condemned in the bible they can be prosecuted for it by their government because the governments consider themselves higher than god so they find it very difficult to uh, adjust to this new tyrannical system that's right in your face uh, and that was really what i was getting at but i think that you you summed it up there that you just have to uh, give thanks to God and be aware that these evil people will be judged and um, this is a storm mm. that we're going to have to weather at the moment but uh, the other thing that struck me when you were talking about that was this action by these evil governments could also be another way of of harming people's faith because they're basically, as I say, passing laws that uh, you know, sins that are condemned in the Bible are completely okay and you're actually condemned, as I say, for, for, for criticising them. Uh, but the other things that they could be doing is if we see these food shortages, which we already are, I'm hearing about food banks in America with huge queues, four or five hours, people queuing to get something for Thanksgiving and all these sort of things going on. So we're seeing these food shortages and, and these different things. And the problem that people are going to have is it's a lot more difficult to cope with nothing when you've had a comfortable life. And I think that that's the real issue. And so someone like Helen Keller, who you referenced, she was born how she was born and then she developed the ability to communicate and that made her mm. life better but what people are going to be going through now is they're going to be used to having these creature comforts that most of us including myself took for granted and suddenly they're going to start having to cope with a lot less 
and I think that a lot of people are going to be mm. affected by that, Peter. Yes, adversity is not ultimately our enemy. Apathy is. And so adversity can strengthen us, but apathy and comfort and complacency will certainly weaken us. And historically, Protestant Christians have made very resilient people. And you can look back at the time of the Reformation and see how the pilgrims and the reformers uh, the Huguenots in France, uh, how tough they became under very unfair uh, treatment. And, and they, didn't, they didn't turn away from God in their time of persecution. It strengthened their faith. And so a strong biblical faith, which includes the Psalms, prayers of justice against evil, uh, actually gets stronger under persecution and pressure. So uh, you just look at how much in the Bible is about the people of God who had to suffer a lot. And we, we see this. Uh, Moses spent uh, 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Joseph spent 12 years in slavery and prison before he was lifted up to being uh, effectively governor of Egypt. And you think of even our Lord Jesus, who came to this world perfect and sinless, yet he also was tested in the wilderness, uh, tried, tempted by the devil, and uh, persecuted. Uh, and he was the only just person ever born in this world, and yet he suffered an illegal, unjust trial and wicked uh, torture and uh, uh, illegal execution on every level, it was travesty of justice. And so when many people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, they need to remember that, that uh, the question should be, why did bad things happen to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, where he suffered for us? Because in fact, all of us are sinful to some degree. All of us have turned astray from God. We all need redemption, salvation. You know, of course, we can look and find people who are worse than us and better than us. And there's there's always uh, people who are even worse than us and, and people who are better than us. But that's not the point. The standard is Christ. And God is holy and he requires that we be holy. And we have failed him and we've, we've fallen short and we've sinned. And we need God's grace and mercy. So the first thing is to get right with God ourselves. And Yes, of course, we're concerned with justice and we're concerned for the unrepentant, wicked enemies of God who kill babies and who violate justice and who are promoting deception in the media and, and have such sick, perverted goals and agendas. And naturally, within us, there's, there's a sense of indignation and why is God allowing this? Well, the Bible shows us that God will not tolerate this for long. He's allowing a certain amount of things to surround us as we read in the book of Judges, chapter 2, and, and also in chapter 3, that God left these nations around his people, the Gentiles, in order to test his people, to see if they really love him and what they would do in the worst situations. It's just like in the military, you have tough training, but the tough training is meant to make you better able to handle the wars and to survive in combat situations and to be able to be a support to your uh, other uh, soldiers in the worst of situations. So the more realistic and the tougher the training, the more likely you are to survive when the bombs are going off and the metal's flying all over the place. So uh, in the same way, in this world, God gives some of us a hard assignment. And it's, it's tough if you get a child with learning disabilities or physical disabilities, or your wife has cancer, or you end up in uh, prison <laughs> Uh, torch and so on. There's so many things that can happen, and many people have different, different 
difficult challenges in life, but the Protestant faith teaches us that God is using these situations to purge and purify and prepare us to be more prayerful and more powerful. And ultimately, God is working all things together for good for those who love him. And even what man means for evil, God can use for good. And so that even Joseph could rejoice at the end before his evil brothers who had betrayed him into the hands of slave traders. And uh, yet he could say, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And uh, we can have the same attitude that in the worst of situations, we can know that we serve a God who is able to turn even the worst of situations to ultimately be a blessing. And a lot of history has consisted in people amazingly against all odds going through and coming through these uh, situations uh, with shining colors. And that's why hymns like he who would valiant be and fight the good fight of faith and who is on the Lord's side. These, you know, we have an anchor. And these great hymns of the faith are a tremendous encouragement to us when we are going through the storms of life. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And before we go, can you let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes. Our mission, Frontline Fellowship, is on Facebook. You can look for Frontline Fellowship. And also myself, Peter Hammond, on, on Facebook, you'll you'll be able to find me there too, especially if you go through Frontline Fellowship first. And our website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org. So it's Frontline Mission SA, SA short for South Africa, frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, email mission at frontline.org.za, mission at frontline.org.za. We'd love to hear from people. And we've got some videos and we've got links and uh, uh, all sorts of updates and what's going on amongst the Persecute Church in Africa. Uh, we're under fire here in, in South Africa. In some ways, we like the canary in the coal mine. And if people in Europe and America want to know what's coming, they can learn from South Africa because we're behind the enemy lines and we're experiencing their tactics. So we can actually be a help and an insight for those of our brothers and sisters in Europe and America because um, uh, very much what we're going through now is what the New World Order has got planned for you later. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, folks, uh, you have been listening to The Real Reason for Thanksgiving. I want to thank all of you for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving today. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next Thursday. I'll, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, bye for now. <laughs>